Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, my name's Stuart Miles and welcome to the Pocket Podcast. This week, Apple surprised us all by revealing the AirPods Max, a new set of over-ear headphones from Apple that look to take on Bose, Sony and others. But should you even consider them? Pocket Dan Grabham here is here to, and has all the details. Meanwhile, I talked to Dyson about how they went about equipping nine individuals in eight cities around the world during the global pandemic to understand lockdown's impact on individual exposure to air pollution. Turns out working at home might not be as healthy for you as actually going into the office. And Pocket Lens Cam Bunton has been playing with the DJI Pocket 2 Pocket Camera. Lots of pockets there. It's Is it any good? Cam joins us to give us his verdict. There are so many questions. That's why I was thinking where to start. Um, I mean, we were expecting the, the some over here headphones from Apple at some point, um, but we didn't know whether they might be Beats branded. We didn't know whether they would be, you know, have massive Apple logos. Unlikely, uh, I, I, I warrant you. But, um, you know, we, we were expecting them sometime. But given that we didn't get them at the previous three Apple events we've had um, in September, October, November. Yeah, so the design design is quite drastic. Um, it, you know, they've got um, sort of, anodized aluminium ear cups so they're quite yeah they are quite striking available in five colors and um, the other thing is that they are 549 pounds or 549 dollars which is a lot, i know um and that was the big surprise for me actually i was expecting maybe maybe 399 that kind of price point because we, we've got the airpods pro at 250 um going down I mean, the price has been price. slowly creasing up hasn't it we started at 159 for the original airpods strangely launched four years ago time flies doesn't it but also launched around the 13th of december so you know very clear kind of you know a week before christmas it's okay to launch headphones um but it's that it's that was 159 then it went to 199 with the wireless charging then the pros come in sorry about 259 or something don't they so 549 that is a jump it is, and especially when much of the technology in the, in these headphones is in the AirPods Pro as well. I mean, obviously there are there are some enhancements, like there's there's dual Apple H1 chips and 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 that kind of thing, um, and and there's obviously you know a lot of hardware in these, but it is you know essentially they they function in much the same way as as the AirPods Pro. Obviously, there's a there's a, going to be a jump in sound quality as well. Um, they've got forty millimeter drivers, for example, um, and there has been quite a lot of work there clearly. Um, and so, we, we, I think the the main sort of question when we come to review them is what will they sound like, and and are they worth that extra two hundred two hundred dollars two hundred pounds really? And I suppose there's a couple of questions here as well. Is that first of all, this is a very crowded market already. You know, with the AirPods and the airpod pros you know there weren't before apple came in nobody was really doing those in ears. certainly wireless that kind of there were a few but they hadn't they still had the wire around the back didn't they there wasn't it kind of or we got or we went the other way which are those crazy bluetooth headsets that taxi drivers used to wear mm-hmm. um so there wasn't really market but here they're, they're walking into 
market dominated by Sony with the MX 1000s of one pocket lint awards numerous times, you know, Bose quiet comfort. You've got, um, Sennheiser, the short, there's, you know, a couple of other smaller brands, isn't there? There's, there's a lot to take on. There are. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one, one question, one question about the AirPods max as well is that another question, um, is that, um, they don't fold the, the, the cups twist so you can, um, store them flat effectively but they don't they don't actually fold up um and that seems that that's really a must for travel headphones um and so yeah that's kind of that reminds me of the old bows doesn't it because i think they used to they used to switch you'd always see traveling on planes used to that wonderful thing we used to do uh, a long time ago you'd see you know people take out that very big hard sort of almost attache case just for their headphones and you think, wow, you must have so much space in your bag to carry that big a packet. I suppose this is smaller, but it's that kind of, it's that approach, isn't it? Yes, definitely. And and of course, there's the the, the desirability of these where, where, you know, people are, you know, they have actually sold out until the, the new year now um, on Apple.com. So, you know, it, there, there is clear demand for them. Um, but, it, but it's going to be interesting to see how much they proliferate in that scenario when we do get back to traveling. Um, because you know we've seen yes Bose and also the Sony's that you mentioned we've seen a lot of those on on planes in in sort of the last couple of years um one of the interesting questions I suppose is as we're getting to a point now where headphones are getting more and more advanced and you know offering spatial virtualizations and Dolby and all these different things and yet do we think that the quality of music that is being streamed via services like Apple Music or Spotify is warrants that enhancement in in technicality of you know of of, of a headphones of this caliber. Well, I, I I guess that's that's possibly you know we've seen Amazon Music HD for example you know with high res audio and other services like um, Tidal for example and I guess you know really what we're looking what we're looking for now is for apple music and spotify indeed to to come up with a with another tier or increase the the, the general quality of music that they provide to at the highest quality you know at the highest quality highest streaming quality mm. so that's going to be interesting and whether there is a potential service on the way from apple that will will take advantage of that you know when they've entered a crowded market with some of the stuff they've done in recent years, you know, I'm thinking HomePod really, uh, you know, with an audio bent as well, they haven't necessarily done, done as well. And so that's, that, that's, that's going to be interesting, you know, obviously the AirPods name and, and the, the way the way this integrates with with your existing devices is you know is is going to be fantastic um and so you know they'll sell a lot of these but it but the price point uh you know is is quite significant for the market still to come cam gives us his verdict on the dgi pocket 2 it's one of those unusual products isn't it it's like you look at it and you think what the heck is that if you're not uh, if you haven't seen one before it's uh, quite an unusual thing to see a camera on a little gimbal attached to this thing that you just hold in your hand um, we mostly take the air we breathe in our homes and surrounding area as a given what's also a suspected given as the air quality should have improved during the lockdowns being experienced by millions of people around the world but what if it hasn't got better and what if the move to work from home has actually made the air we breathe day in and day out worse that's one of the questions Dyson wanted to answer in a new study that's looked at how air quality has changed this year in nine cities around the world. Using a backpack loaded with sensors, Michael Leet, a design engineer at Dyson working on airflow within the company's environmental care products, 
and his team went around measuring just how polluted or not our air has been this past year. I started by asking him to explain what the study actually involved. Yeah, sure. So, um, so previously last year we did a we did a project called Breed London, um, where we've developed some backpacks that allow us to uh, to monitor um, air quality from users' uh, location as they wear them. Um, so this this project was um, was an expansion on that really using the equipment that was previously developed to understand the impact of lockdown on air quality in a number of different cities. So this project was completed in eight cities. Uh, we had nine participants across eight cities, and it was really making you know being able to the lockdown has presented a really a really unprecedented event that has allowed us to. Uh, that's seen significant changes in the way we commute, the way we live, our behaviour, and this is a this is a sort of opportunity really to to understand just how much of an impact that has had on the personal exposure to to air quality, positive or negative, for our participants. And so, before we talk about the study itself, let's talk a little bit about the backpack. Is it? Is it just a backpack? <laughs> is it? Is there, have you done anything to it? So yeah, we have done. We have done a little bit to it. The the the, um, the basic principle of it is is that it is a backpack. We still wanted it to be functional for our users so that they can complete their journeys and complete their 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 uh, purposes for travel with with the useful backpack. But the key difference is it with it is is that we've integrated um, air quality sensors. So we have two sensors. We have a particulate sensor. Um, and we also have a gas sensor. And then on top of that, we have a, a customized circuit board that allows us to integrate that with a GPS module and a battery. So users can wear that while they're out and about recording their location and recording their exposure to both particulate matter and gases. So nitrogen, NO2 and VOCs are the main gases we're concerned about. And the particulate sensor uses lasers to identify the size of particles as they're measured. Okay, and so for people that don't work in airflow technology like yourself um, that are listening to this, what does, in, in general layman's terms, what when you say particulars, what what, do, what does that mean? Is that pollen? Is it dust? Is it just general so, detritus that's flowing around? Yeah, that, that's the thing. There's a, there's a massive range of sources, um, of particulate sources that, that can that can be in our air. Some of them are um, some of them are quite large, so dust and pollen, when you see the, the light streaming through the window and you can see those, um, those those particulars, they're the larger ones, which are dust and pollen. Um, but the ones that the ones that can have a bigger impact on us as people are the, are the smaller um, smaller size particles. So we generally group particles into uh, into a number, which is um, PM two point five, PM ten, those sort of numbers you you hear referred to, and right. refers to the size in microns. So for particles that are PM ten, the larger particles like dust and pollen. Our bodies have a kind of natural mechanism of being able to process those um, through sneezing, through coughing. Um, we're, we're generally quite good at being able to, to rid ourselves of those. But the, the particulates that can be really damaging are those that fall into the smaller sizes. So PM 0.1 and PM 2.5 are the, are the groupings that, that have the potential to really get into the body. So PM 2.5 can really embed into the lung tissue and then PM 1.1 um, has the ability to get into our bloodstream. And, and when I say PM 0.1, a particle that is 0.1 microns in diameter is six hundredths of the size of a human hair. So a human hair is about 60 microns in diameter. So right. the sort of size we're talking about, they're really small, they're, they're invisible to, to us with our naked eyes, and, uh, and they have the potential to get quite far into our bodies. So, okay, so that's really interesting. How, how relevant and important are the findings, therefore, that you found from this survey? 
Yeah, so uh, the let's say the the events of of lockdown and the the variety of um, of cities that we've conducted this in um, has really given us a, a an understand an understanding of the impact of um, or an overview of the impact in terms of personal exposure for our participants for both outdoor air and indoor air quality. So the backpack was used to measure outdoor air, and this involved um, our participants following their, their essential journeys, so their essential commutes, their essential shopping, and any exercise routes that they may follow. And we asked them to, to wear the backpack during these journeys for, uh, for the, the period in lockdown, and then a period after lockdown. So as lockdown eased in the various different countries, we were able to get a comparison for, uh, for the routes that these people commonly walk as part of their um, as part of their daily lives and be able to see what difference that was. And the main difference we saw from the outdoor uh, outdoor pollution across cities was the change in NO2 levels. So nitrogen dioxide is, uh, is generally emitted by cars. And obviously we have seen a massive reduction in traffic and vehicles on the road as part of lockdown. And that is generally reflected in, in much of our users' data. But we do also see quite a, quite a bit of variation between users. And that really highlights how um, our participants are to some degree in control of their own exposure to air quality. And it's not as simple as um, it's not as simple as kind of a broad brush stroke for every for every city and for every every resident of those cities. It's it's in many ways up to us as well as to what routes we may take to to, to minimize that exposure. And looking at the cities, they're, they're quite vast and, and sort of diverse in their choice. So you've got London, obviously, from you know, here from the UK, but you've also got Paris and Milan and, and Singapore and Kuala Lumpur and, and Tokyo. How how different would the results, you know, you'd expect Tokyo to perhaps be, you know, it's a very heavy industrial kind of city. You'd ex- was that vastly different for, say, somewhere sort of like Paris that may be seen as a bit more sort of cultural and, and you know, and sort of relaxed maybe? Yeah, so there there was there was a huge difference between between cities in terms of the results from them, but the outdoor data only relates to those participants. So much of this can relate to their uh, can relate to their lifestyle, the way that they, the journeys they were taking, um, and it's difficult to make any uh, any assumptions based on the the overall cities. Um, the nature of this kind of study and the and the the the, the kind of laws and the and the, the process of lockdown that varies between countries means that um, we can't apply sort of blanket assumptions per city but the the difference between participants is quite large um, one of the consistent different uh, one of the consistent factors that we did see across cities um, is we also completed a, a, a side project which was using the anonymized data from our connected air purifiers that are indoor inside people's homes and what right. we've seen consistently across that is that um, PM 2.5, so the very small particulate matter that can get into our lungs, uh, was consistently higher during lockdown than it was post lockdown. And we believe that's just because of people spending so much more time at home, spending much more time cooking, preparing meals, agitating dust, doing the activities that generally, uh, that generally contribute to, to worse indoor air quality. So there is variation in the, in the outdoor air quality that we saw pre and post lockdown across cities, but indoor air quality was, was quite consistent. And do you think that's a growing trend as more of us work from home and are asked to work from home that we're actually getting to a situation where the air that we're working in is could be worse than actually the air in the grotty office that we thought was quite bad? Yeah, absolutely. And and this is a um, this is a increasing um, kind of problem that we're seeing for a number of reasons. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of different sources of indoor air pollution. 
and the more time we our, our own bodies is one of those sources and the more time that we spend there will will contribute to that but similarly as people uh, activities like cooking people are preparing more meals at home and spending more time there but also as we as we kind of push to a to a, a lower carbon economy which requires better sealed households um, you know better sealing around your windows around your doors um, we're also trapping more of that air pollution in so it's a combination mm. of us spending more time there but also as our as our homes get more and more energy efficient we're 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 increasingly trapping that that air pollution in with us as well so it's a it's a combination of kind of long-term change and obviously a very short-term period of change in terms of the amount of hours that people are spending in their home and so did the study find any ways of of kind of simple tricks or tips to be able to mitigate some of this concern of, i mean obviously going by an air purifier um, but you know, is there, is there simple things that, that people can do beyond that? Yeah, so there are quite there are a number of simple things. It really depends on 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 users' personal setup and what they um, and, and what what their individual contributors are to in, are to their air pollution. Um, for example, um, you know, pollen, dust, pet dander, they're quite common. Uh, quite common particulates if you there's not there's not loads you can do about that really if you have pets then you have pets you can't (laughs) just kicking them out by any means um but there are things that we we know that in um in a number of countries around the world using um using either primary or secondary heat sources that include uh fires so either solid fuels or wood i know that my family home we have pretty much a fireplace in every house and uh and and love to use them and and areas like that, particularly as we go into into winter, um, we can we can do things in those areas to minimise the amount of pollution that we're generating. The cooking techniques we use, even having that that fry up in the morning, can affect the air quality for the, in your home for the rest of the day. So, um, and similarly as well. I mean, this this varies based on where you live, but opening up the windows, getting some circulation. If you live in a if you live in an area of the world that has good outdoor air quality, um, then increasing that ventilation. Uh, can really help but obviously if you live in a part of the world where the outdoor air quality is worse than the indoor quality indoor air quality then that can accentuate the problem so um, there are absolutely things that that people can do to to improve the air quality in their homes and in terms of improving their exposure to outdoor air quality um, one thing that we learned from the breed london project which was the the project we completed with a number of a number of schools based in london um, was that we the, the the exposure to outdoor pollution can vary quite significantly um, based on the routes we take, the transport methods we use, and in some cases they can be changed. And in that Breed London project that we did last year, over 30% of participants did change their behaviours following that study. So, you know, we're really keen at Dyson to, to improve this, this knowledge of air quality because it is a difficult field to understand. You can't see it and you can't visualise it. And we kind of have the, the engineering ability and the techniques to be able to, to help improve that knowledge amongst, amongst, uh, amongst populations. So that's something we're keen to work on. The Pocket 2 is a successor to the Osmo Pocket from DJI, a camera and gimbal system that launched back in 2019. The new model, the DJI Pocket 2, keeps all the good stuff from the original but boosts the internals and makes it even more versatile with some pro-minded modules in mind. But what's it like to use? And with so many of us already carrying a camera in our pocket thanks to our phone, do we need a dedicated device? Well, Pocket Lint's Cam Bunton has been playing with the video camera to find out and is here to tell us whether it's any good. So, Cam, is it any good? I mean, the the one-word answer to that is yes. Um, it, it sort of feels. There you like, go. Thanks very much. No worries. 
it's one of those unusual products, isn't it? It's like you look at it and you think, what the heck is that? If you're not, uh, if you haven't seen one before, it's uh, quite an unusual thing to see a camera on a little gimbal attached to this thing that you just hold in your hand. Um, kind of reminds me of a Pez dispenser. <laughs> yeah, it does look a little. But bit just like with a camera way. instead of a, a picture, you know, instead of like a Woody from Toy Story or a Hello Kitty or something. Yeah, basically, it's it's almost like for me when they announced the first one which came out, I think, a year or so ago. It, it almost was like DJI showing off as to how small it could make this little gimbal and camera system. But actually, right. it became quite a, a useful little product. I don't know if you watched um, The Long Was It The Long Way Up with Ewan McGregor. Yeah, I have. It's great. And they were, you can see them using them in that documentary. And in some instances, it's really useful to have a tiny little camera you can fit in your pocket, but gives you the smoothness that you can only get from having a physical gimbal that moves with you as your hand or handheld shooting. And so what did you really like about it? I think it's that versatility. It's it's again, it's all about the stability of the footage that you can shoot. Like if you've got your smartphone, which might have optical image stabilization in the lens, it will give you smooth footage to a certain extent, but it won't give you the same kind of smooth panning and tilting and following that you would get from having an actual physical gimbal that moves um so that it just gives you that much more smooth footage so that's what i mean that's what i really liked about it and that's really what it's for and what do you think is people won't like about it um i think there's there are things that obviously the small size um the small size of it means that things like the screen are really tiny so if you are just going to hold it in your hand like that it's hard to see what your how you're framing your footage but then you can attach your smartphone to it and use your smartphone as a bigger screen, but then that adds to the size of it so it's not as portable when you use it that way. Um, and so the, I think the user interface on that little screen is is decent to an extent, but then it can be a little bit fiddly to use. Um, but then you can just use the buttons if you want to, and that makes it easier again. So um, there are different things that you don't get. Like if you're using a full-size camera, for instance, you can see what you're doing better, essentially, than what you can do on this. And so we talked, yeah, we talked about, you know, this kind of, it's quite a niche product, admittedly, but it does, you know, it's suitable. And if you're about to site, if you're about to motorbike from the bottom, the very tip of South America all the way up to Los Angeles, it's probably, probably perfect for you. Um, But who do you, who do you see uh, from our listeners point of view? Who do you, you know, is this, is it Christmas present fodder is it you know is it something that's for someone that likes taking videos or you know who's it really for do you think it re- i think it, like i think you hit the nail on the head basically it's for people who are already into video shooting they want another bit of kit to add to their arsenal that isn't as clunky and, and cumbersome to carry around as it would be if for instance you had one of dji's big ronin gimbals and a full-size camera that's obviously nowhere near as convenient to carry around with you. So this is essentially giving you that flexibility, but in something that you can just slide into your trouser pocket on a day out where you're not needing the big expensive camera, but you still want to be able to capture some stuff that looks decent, essentially. And and is it a thumbs up in, in all? I think for me personally, you know, I'm a videographer. I'm always shooting videos. So for me, it's a massive thumbs up. I think it's great because you've got 4K video now, which you didn't have. Uh, with the previous one and 60 frames per second which is another big thing and active tracking which is quite frankly ridiculous um, so yeah for me massive thumbs up well that's it for this week's show thanks for listening until next time pip pip <laughs>